0: Hello! Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. This is a space where searching, hurting, faithful, curious people come together and ask hard questions and listen to wise guests share how they have lived life deeply. There are a couple of things that you can do that really help out the show. One of them is if this episode is something that blesses you, can you please send it to a friend? Another thing is that if you really liked it, then could you please leave a five-star review and write something nice? You can follow along at YouTube slash Allison Sullivan for some really fun extras. Find me on Instagram at Allison M. Sully and TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. Thanks for being here. I hope you hear something today that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. I've been hearing a lot of holy rumbles of healing and hope lately. I am someone who moved to a new town, and when college girls found their way to my door, I flung it open wider and I made a retreat called dust. May we follow so closely behind our rabbi that we are covered from the dust from his feet. My relationships with these precious young women was met with a little skepticism by prominent people who had lived here far longer, had their own work with college girls and called me to ask me what my gospel was because they heard that I was, gasp, Catholic, leading Protestant young women. But I didn't care because the work really seemed to matter. I am someone who started a podcast because someone said I should. I sat in my closet with my iPhone, and I tried my best. I had important conversations with people who live life deeply, and I learned in new ways the privilege of being born into a world where I feel like I belong. I learned that what I knew about racism was largely my choice. My skin allowed me an out. I leaned in instead, and I hosted a live recording where people of color could teach our community about systemic racism, white privilege, and gospel unity. Prominent people in our community got up and walked out. And I didn't care, because the work really seemed to matter. I am someone who felt that Catholic Mass, while deeply beautiful wasn't necessarily evangelical. And I longed for a place to invite people, an on-ramp for people who might never consider crossing the threshold of a church. And so we made it. It was a motley crew of us, and we met above a bar downtown. We played music and talked about our weekends and listened to a short, sharp, relatable message that always included the love of Jesus. I would give the message, and then we might dash downstairs and cheers to possibility and the potential of living a life that considered what it meant to be beloved. We could all start there and then just see what happened. But when church people heard that a woman was preaching the gospel above a bar and inviting them to their church, they complained. Never mind, there was a well-thought-out team of lion-hearted people. They focused on what seemed scandalous. And I didn't care because the work really seemed to matter. And then COVID happened and life shut down and my mental health plummeted. And similar to those who focused on everything unconventional or outside the lines, I focused on everything adverse about my work and my ministry. The parts that were hurting, I guess I cared after all. And I made the same mistake that they did. And I began to feel this really heavy gloom whenever I considered Christianity and the people who practiced it. I became so pessimistic towards people who proclaimed him. The guns and the flags and the narcissism and the thoughts and prayers and the insurrection, well, that didn't help any. And slowly everything congealed and solidified into hatred. And speaking of hatred, I hate confessing that. When I wrote this, I had to shut my eyes to type it, but it's true. But lately, lately, There are artists around me that make me remember that I love God's people, and I believe in us, and God's plan is still good for this world. There are so many people that help me remember that, and Sarah Bessie is certainly one of them. My heart is lighter, my spirit feels freer, my body is more relaxed, and my mind is spinning with possibilities. And I realize more acutely now, even though I told myself that I didn't, that I most certainly cared about the criticism that comes with organizing your life around the ministry and model of Jesus Christ. I lied to myself that I didn't care, that prominent people were complaining about me. My thought processes regarding criticism, they didn't leave any room for my hurt feelings. And those hurt feelings, unacknowledged, unaddressed, they just mutated into something faith-destroying. I've realized that hurt feelings are a far less scary monster than cynicism and jadedness. Sarah Bessie has always offered so much room and space to heal and dream again. I know that I am a co-creator. I know that God is doing new things. I know that asking good questions is a really valuable practice. And some final arrival at any one answer, it's a myth. I know that I will receive criticism. And I know that people will disappoint me, but I am filled with compassion for people bound in darkness, and I feel a call to share some good news that is more ablaze with glory than ever before. You're going to love this conversation with Sarah Bessie, and I hope that she inspires you too. Hello, Sarah Bessie. I. It's such an honor. To have you here. and i would I would like to tell you that the only reason I don't ask you weekly instead of like maybe seasonally uh, is is it's really just out of respect for your time. I assume you have other things to do. But please know that my preference would be to just sit and do this with you very, very, very often. Um, and the reason why is because it is you who have helped me so many times. Mm pray for recognition when I wonder again and again and again who God is. And so Mm -hmm. I am so grateful for your work, for how you write and how you think and how you lead and how you guide. To me, you feel like a friend and a Mm -hmm. a trusted sage. And you've taught me that any dark night of reckoning um, can always be followed by a dawn of of new light. So thank you. Welcome back to the show. It's always an honor.
1: smoke. So I have to come back all the time. This was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much, Alison. That means the world to me to hear, truly. Oh my goodness.
0: Thank you. It's, it's an honor. So you have written five books now. I own all of them. Jesus feminist oh, out of words. sorts, um yes, miracles and other reasonable things, rhythm of prayer, and now of course field notes for the wilderness, which we're also excited about. Um you have gone on this journey from respected blogger to what I would call a unique blend of, of, of pastor and prophet and poet and preacher, philosopher, mystic, but you're just this woman of prayer who, who teaches us how to walk around a little confused and a little mm-hmm. disillusioned and, and feel okay about that. That's who you are to me. Mm-hmm. But for you, how would you introduce yourself, Sarah? Can you tell us a little bit about who and what you love?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, like you said, I'm a writer. And so that's kind of the main way that I work and spend a lot of my days. But um, I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, just uh, right on the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, uh, in case it wasn't obvious from how I pronounce all of my vowels <laughs> <And so laughs> for everyone. This was the first time they let me do the audiobook for oh. one of my books, because it has always been conventional wisdom that my voice is way too distracting for like general audiences. And Mm. so I was quite gratified to be able to have a chance to just let it go. So even though I lost all of my Use in the manuscript um, for spelling wise. I I did manage to talk them into letting me do the audiobook. So
2: interesting. That was fun. Okay.
0: Well, good. I'm glad for that.
1: (laughs) So in terms of like you know just I guess you know the the wider story of being married for um, 23 years this year, Mm. and actually today is the 25th anniversary of our first date. And so (gasps) yeah, it's kind of fun. So that's fun. Um, so Brian and I have—I've um, got four kids together. My eldest is graduating high school this year. My youngest is just um, in grade three. So we've got a pretty wide range of ages and experiences, and personalities.
0: Yes, you know, I know them as the tinies, right?
1: I know everybody does,
0: <laughs> but and so it's really quite funny because I wrote about them
1: so much when they were little, and then they kind of disappeared from my public life for about you know, well, really for more than ten sure. years now. And, um, and so when I do happen to share a picture of them, people are always really taken aback mm-hmm. because in their minds, they're still the tinies. Yes. And then like, here's yes. Joe, he's six, four. And here, here's Annie. She's six foot tall and graduating. Like it just, oh my everybody grew up. Are you tall, us, right? I'm not, my husband is, he's from Nebraska originally Allison. And uh-huh. so he's like, you know, he always jokes that he's like a corn fed Nebraskan, yes. but they're all tall like that. So I'm, I mean, uh-huh. I'm not, tiny like i'm five six like i think that's fairly oh, yeah. respectable for a yeah. for a woman but my children all feel very sorry for me like already yeah. every all three of the older teenager ones are all taller than me yeah and then my youngest is coming as well so i'm like the little person in the middle of all these tall people no. <laughs> they're not the tinies anymore i'm afraid <laughs> so yeah um other than that bookworm Um, love to read, um, even more than I love to write, which is saying something, Mm -hmm. um, love knitting. Um, I like hockey. Yeah. Just all, all sorts
0: of things. I think that that's, that's probably a good start, I guess. So I think it's a little bit of a marvel that we live in this certain point of history that the internet came about and Mm -hmm. we are able to not just, connect in a a surface level way, but really connect with other Mm -hmm. people that share our values and convictions and stages of life that we live in a time where I could keep a baby book online and then other people could start (laughs) to read it. And then we could develop what has become a very real friendship. And so, if I'm not mistaken, Sarah, did you did, I, I don't like the term "mommy blogger" because it seems it takes away from what was actually happening during that time and space, um, because there was some really important work being written. Mm-hmm. But you have gone from "mommy blogger" to what is to me, a, this very well-respected theologian, and it's just it's a fascinating journey, is it not? It is kind of funny. I had a little bit of a laugh when you talked
1: about being a respected blogger because that felt almost like you know, like a misnomer. Like you know, um, when people say like yeah, right, exactly. or whatever else, it like it doesn't really register. <laughs> um, and I don't know. Yeah, it's it is kind of an interesting thing. I think that that's that's one of the things I really still love about it. Is it always felt very um, communal and relational. I liked, I think that's maybe probably part of what actually helped develop and kind of inform how I continue to show up in these spaces. Because Mm -hmm. for me, blogging reminded me that we were all people.
0: Yeah.
1: That like you were really reading it and that (laughs) I knew everybody who was commenting and like went and visited their stuff. And so still to this day, it feels very grassroots to me, even in that regard. And I think one of the things that has always really surprised me about it, so I started writing online in 04, I think Mm -hmm. like, and I think I wrote in obscurity for more than six or seven years before Mm -hmm. anyone ever paid any attention. So like, I'm certainly the furthest thing from like an overnight success. But the thing that was nice about it was that sense of like camaraderie and companionship. And we were kind of finding each other in these little Mm -hmm. like pockets of the internet and realizing that we were almost kind of Co-creating our own way past the gatekeepers, mm. which was really fun yeah. because well, it was, I mean, it had its highs and its lows for sure. Right. But I think that's one of the things that I always am very aware of is that my career and my work and even my experiences, literally any other time in history would not would not have found any traction, you know, right. or, or maybe wouldn't have been published or wouldn't have you know found their way to people, right. and yet through that medium. Whether it's blogging, which then of course turned into social media, which is now being like this huge explosion of content and creators right. and people telling their stories. It was kind of all of us finding each other out there and being like, yeah. me too, yeah. me too. I'm experiencing and learning things about God precisely because of the very things that people think should disqualify me from this, right. whether it was being the mom of young children at the time, you know, being kind of, um, you know, an, an untrained theologian or self-taught, um, you know, being from where I'm from. Even. Yeah. You know, right, there's not right. a lot of happy, clappy mums from Western Canada who are, yeah. who at the time were talking about things like scripture and church and deconstruction and whatever deconstruction. else was kind of going yeah. on. Right. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I'm always really aware of it. And it's, it's a fun, I think part of the origin story is that it felt very collaborative and also um, exploratory, I guess, maybe in mm-hmm. some ways. I like Yeah. That we all found yeah. each other,
0: which was great. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like early on it was a really, it was a nicer environment. You're I feel like wrong. as we've become more and more accustomed <laughs> to social media, we've gotten a little more cynical or skeptical or something. But our brains, we're hardwired to process through connection. I mean, social media, it's only right. And we're social creatures. It's only right that we, that we took this and latched on and it blew up. And so do you mind talking a little bit about the highs and the lows? I feel like this social media really taps into just allowing us to share ourselves, but without much sacrifice. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we can, I don't right. know, it, it, it feels like a, there's there's a little bit of and both and either or and high-low, you know, pro-con. Mm-hmm. What has been your maybe some high-low experiences with this crazy work that we've found ourselves in the middle of?
1: Yeah, I think that you're exactly right. I mean, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure we can sit here and probably talk about this just the two of us the whole deal. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> There's, I mean, there's the obvious, you know, not great experiences like, you know, being, you know, mobbed on for something that you've written and like, you know, the hordes kind of come after it Hmm. with attendant, Hmm. you know, threats and safety worries and those sorts of things, which I think is a fairly common experience now for a lot of women on the internet, uh, unfortunately. And, but at the time it, it feels very lonely and it feels yeah. very isolating and really yeah. scary. Um, so there's those aspects that I think that are always kind of difficult. I think that there's there's the added element that I found and learned the hard way, which was, if you were a different person online than you were in your real life, that never worked out well. Yeah. And so for me, like really early on, it became really important to me that people's experience in my real life was the same as what they were going to experience yes. online, right? So if I'm going to run my mouth on my blog, oh. <laughs> then I better be ready to talk about it at yeah. school pickup, right? Yeah, right. And so, you know, those things were good checks for me. It helped with a little bit of um, developing the seamlessness and consistency and congruency even with my outer life and my inner life, because I think mm-hmm. as someone who is maybe more accountability, Yeah. Yeah, it was. It almost turned into a little bit of accountability. Like, oh, these are the things I'm really thinking about. And let's, yeah, let's talk about them in my real life with like the people I actually know and encounter and go to church with or live next door to or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So those were some great things. I mean, but then there were all all these lovely, beautiful aspects of finding each other really early. Like it has been kind of funny with the book release coming out because there's a number of folks who have reached out to support or help out with that book. And I was going back through my mind and I was like, well, Emily Freeman and I have known each other for like more than 15 years yeah. online. We've been yeah. writing in these spaces and, you know, Shonda Niequist and Jen Hamaker and all these people. It's like, we all kind of came up together and I just yep. love that we've held on to each other and they did turn into real relationships. They did yeah. turn into real friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rachel was a huge part of that for me. Mm. Uh, Rachel Held Evans. And so, you know, those losses, but those experiences still remain. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that those are are some of the things maybe. I, I think also it did tell people that there were people like us out here. Yes. Right. Because I think yeah. for such a long time, there was one particular voice that was published or one particular yeah. voice that was platformed or one particular voice yeah. that was listened to. Yeah. And in some ways this reminded people like, no, there's a lot more of us yeah. out here. And there's a lot of different ways of Understanding and embodying and living these um, hopes out and different experiences. And not only are, is that beautiful, but like it will it will expand everything and it will it will remind you about how good God is and it will remind you how wide the story is that we're a part of. Yeah. And I think those are all really, really good gifts as well
0: in my my church, it was like there was maybe one voice that felt safe enough to disperse, right. you know, and then, it might have had a kind slick... of voice it
1: usually was right, right, <laughs> right,
0: and it might have had a slick finish, but there weren't a whole lot of people experiencing the same thing, and so mm-hmm. it, it was through voices like yours that I could get online and and listen to and be like, oh, okay, you know, it's uh, the biggest pro for me, Sarah, is that you were experiencing something ahead of me. And so yeah. I could read about your experience. I loved the way you wrote, and I loved the way that you were raising your family. And so even though I wasn't experiencing this at that time, it was something that I was sympathetic towards. And then I had my own shakedown. <laughs> and yeah. and so to go back and read your words, and so to know that this this wasn't a completely unique experience as everything seemed mm-hmm. to be crumbling around me. So, so that's a big con of social media. I mean, if we were all just standing on our porches, like yelling at each other, you know, from house right. to house, we would have a very small, you know, sphere of influence. But to have the internet and to listen to other voices and other great thinkers and other people who are telling it true was just such a great gift. So sure. um, that said, Evolving Faith is a, a big, one of your big babies. And you co-founded this with Rachel yes. Held Evans and Jim Chaffee. I've only ever seen it written. Sorry, is that it's correct? Chaffee, but close Chaffee, yeah. You're, Thank you. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> and to read from that, you say this right on the front, and I, I, I want to quote it because mm, it says, "Welcome home, questioner and doubter, question asker, status quo upender, church kid, Bible nerd, rebel." Yes, you. You wanderer, spiritual refugee, weary one, idolistic cynic, and disappointed disciple. <sighs> mm-hmm. My goodness. I just want to roll yes. around in all of those descriptors.
1: <laughs> I know. It makes us all feel a little bit more seen. Like yeah. Yeah. Or a little bit more acknowledged, maybe in our in our experiences. I I've always loved that. And a lot of the, a lot of that language came from Rachel.
0: Mm when you co-founded evolving faith what did what need did you see and what did you hope that it met
1: um you know it was kind of funny like when i look back on it now of how little we thought about it to be hmm. honest with you wow <laughs> which sounds kind That is of funny not because, what i thought you were going to say <laughs> right i know and so it was almost kind of a thing that came in during the process, there's this really beautiful quote from Madeline Gell where she's she's talking about writing, but she's she says that in her experience, and I'm gonna butcher this, but she says something along the lines of in her experience, inspiration usually comes while you're doing the work as opposed to before. Mm. And that that has been true for me in, in so yeah. many different areas. Yes. And so sometimes you just kind of roll your sleeves up and start something. Or yeah, jump in follow and a the, holy nudge. The inspiration. Or something. And yeah, exactly. And it kind of comes together slowly. And evolving faith was a bit like that. Like initially, mm-hmm. Rachel and I had both written a couple books in that lane. She had written Searching for Sunday, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is an incredible book. Mm-hmm. And then I had written Out of Sorts. And we both had young families at the time, and Jim was our booking agent. And they had just kind of created Why Christian with Nadia Boltzweber, and they were like, "Why don't we do a weekend yes. around some of these themes or some of these ideas around evolving faith?" Because that was in, um, I think, my book title, and then um, it was connected even with one of her first books. And so we were just like, "Yeah, let's let's put something together and see if we can, you know, have have a good time. See if there's any interest in this." Like I remember distinctly having conversations with Rachel and Jim where I was like, "Guys, nobody's going to come." Like it's going to be you and me in, in this room and we'll be there for like maybe 50 people. And they were like, yeah. don't be ridiculous. We'll have at least 200 people. It'll be fine. Well, like we sold out and it was like, we crammed like 1500 people into a oh, for 900. Goodness. The logistics were a nightmare. Like anybody who was there the first year can tell you it was an absolute mess. But I remember this moment backstage when Rachel and I kind of were starting to realize what had happened and we began to realize just how hungry people were mm, for a space mm. like this and how profoundly unshepherded this season of faith shift or of losing your answers or deconstruction, like just yeah. how lonely it was and how often people were wanting to talk about this. Yeah. And so that we came home from that first one being like, The number one thing people were asking for was for it to continue and for there to be a community around it. Yeah. And so we drew up like on like literally backs of scrap paper, you know, just like, here's the plan. And we built out this whole big thing that included the podcast and the yearly conference and the online community we've developed and all these beautiful Mm -hmm. affiliate communities and connection groups within there. And I mean, just all the people we wanted to hear from and the things we saw being um, a possible thing. And so then when Rachel passed away, very soon after that, and Jeff had joined, Jeff Chu had joined our team by then. I think that's one of the things that we grappled with the most is, well, there's a lot of things we grappled with, but in terms of this, it was whether or not you keep going. Yeah. And, and I felt like I kind of had a plan to follow Mm. because we had that. And so then now in the, the, you know, we had our fifth gathering this last October and it's, it's all being ticked off on that list. Everything Rachel and I dreamed of and wanted to do and that we saw has come to pass and not And because of a huge community of people around it and the people who love it, like it's just, it's certainly not a hero story on my end. Mm. I'm pretty well aware of my own faults and failings (laughs) in leadership, but there's this real beautiful collaborative nature to it that I really love. And it does feel less lonely. It feels like there's this um, normalization of the spiritual formation of this season of our lives and a sense of companionship and being alongside of each other that I think was really sorely needed. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. And it, it continues to be something that I'm, I'm really proud of. Yeah. So grateful.
0: And, and another thing I think, you know, people are, people are doubting. People have been scandalized and, and mm-hmm. traumatized. And they're taking their time to get bearings in the middle of this yeah. cultural upheaval. And not rushing that process along feels really important.
1: It does. I think you're right. I think there's something, um, you know, I've, I've used the phrase like apocalyptic. Which I mean, granted, I'm from like a charismatic background, so like I love big, juicy language like that. You know? <laughs> but, but more in like that truest sense of like there's been a re- there's revelation, right? There's yeah. been an, an unveiling, yeah. you know, which is what the word really means. And so that sense of unveiling has meant that that company of people with disappointment and loss. And grief and rage and anger and a sense of betrayal even from the stories that they had been told or the the context that they always accepted as normal, yeah. like the, the foundations that have shifted beneath people. I mean, and this was long before the pandemic, long before even a lot of the shifts, you know, politically that we've seen now in the last number of years. And so that number just continues to increase and grow, I think. Of
0: course. Right. Yeah. God definitely went before you. And, and to not be afraid of that, you know, we're mm-hmm. told... Peter's telling us, you know, he's speaking of a a faith that is more precious than gold because it has been refined Mm -hmm. by fire. So I know that practicing wonder and curiosity is a really important spiritual practice of yours. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how your new book, Field Notes, might address some of that? For
1: sure. So one of the things that I kind of really wanted to do in this book, as opposed to maybe some of my other books, I tend to be a little bit allergic to like being prescriptive. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. <laughs> <laughs> very Enneagram nine of me. I'm like, this worked for me, but it might not work for you. You know, right, right, right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> very contextual. But anyway, I wanted to kind of do that of having like, here are the practices that served me really well in this yeah. season. And the things that I think, even the ditches that I fell into, the places where I overcorrected Mm. And needed to find Mm. center again, you know, the beautiful things that I found along the way, the things that not only brought life and goodness and healing to me, but also to my children and to my marriage and to my community and, you know, just all those types of things.
0: That's so interesting. Things you may have tried to throw away, but couldn't.
1: Right. Yeah. That one's in there too. Right. And so, I mean, this idea of like taking practices and postures and saying, these were mine while also leaving a lot of room for the fact that other people may... Find other ones or new ones or different ones than mine. Yeah. But that a, was a huge one for me was reclaiming wonder and curiosity of, of relearning how to say things like, I don't know. So instead of seeing the loss of answers, or the loss of certainty as solely and only an anxiety producing season mm-hmm. of loss, which it definitely can be. But also to see the possibilities in it, mm-hmm. and to get curious about the things that I'm curious about. And so instead Mm. of seeing the loss of certainty as like a sentence ending, to see it as like a whole new paragraph beginning. Mm. And so then even things like, whether it was through the eyes of my kids, or it was through how I view the world, or how I view nature, or all the ways where I've encountered, you know, God outside of maybe the ways that I had been taught always to encounter and expect God to show up. Yeah. Yeah it expanded everything it expanded I think my heart for people it expanded my awareness of the world it made me care and love things (laughs) that I maybe begun to take for granted it gave me permission to not know things for a little while and to embrace that as as good right Mm -hmm. and so yeah so that's been a big one for me for sure.
0: To me, a a beautiful mystery is so much more beautiful than a set of ironclad certitudes anyway. So I I just – I love that so much. But I feel like you are so comfortable with, well, anything. Like, come what may. You know, it's like (laughs) – I mean even if it's unpleasant like even yeah. if you know I feel like you have ditched this this whole construct that says easy means good and hard means bad. You know, so you right. might sit in something and I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but I but I want to get your thoughts on this that a lot of that comes with radical self-acceptance, a degree of self-love that is completely from the inside out and mm-hmm. Liz Gilbert tells a story. It might have been forever ago in Eat, Pray, Love. I don't know. But she tells a story about she's walking along a street in a bustling city. And across the street, she catches a glance of of someone that she knows. And so in her quick glance, she sees the sight of a friend and her heart leaps with joy. And she goes to wave. And when she goes to wave, she realizes that she is What she thought was just familiar was familiar because it was her own self. It was her reflection on the side of a building. And as Mm. she, so then of course, the first, you know, with that realization is you feel silly, right? But then she sat with that a minute and she was overjoyed that she saw herself as a friend, Mm -hmm. that she leapt with joy and she saw herself as her own friend. And mm-hmm. so I feel like you have made lovely friends with yourself, Sarah. <laughs> do you have, what advice yeah. do you have for somebody that might not leap with joy at the, at the sight of themselves?
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the nicest things I think I've ever heard in my life. Allison, thank mm-hmm. you. I, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's not maybe quite as tidy, but it's, it's hard one. I think like it's, most of us, yeah. right. It's, it's, a it can thank be you for that. You live yeah. that you live into right i don't think it's something that's given to some of us and, and denied others hmm. i think that one of the things that was almost one of the first things that got reset for me in the process of losing all of my answers was deeply understanding the love and acceptance and goodness of god and it is it is a an ocean i think i'll be swimming in for the rest <laughs> of my life and so it does really genuinely change how you view everyone else around you. And, and then slowly that starts to reflect back, I think, in your, your own self. I think too, like, I think, and this isn't something I talk about a whole lot anymore. I'm trying to figure out a way to do that again, is to talk more about how much mothering reset this for me. Hmm. And how deeply tied it has been to that revelation, even there's more big. Juicy words for us, (laughs) revelation, sort of thing, of just that level of unconditional love. And so, being -hmm. being a learning to let God mother me, Mm -hmm. learning to let God love me, learning to almost like wear a trail in that revelation until it became as natural of a path as any other in my mind and in my spirit really does and has shifted how much you can accept and live within even those places of discomfort and loss. I I mean, a huge one for me, obviously, was I was in a big car accident a number of years ago, eight eight years ago. And the way that that reset my health Mm -hmm. development of chronic issues meant that I had to, whether I liked it or not, kind of divorce my productivity from my belovedness, which was awful like yeah. when you're someone who's always felt yeah. like you had to earn it or hustle for it and now all of a sudden you don't get you don't even get to have the illusion of hustle and productivity yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know it it can reset a lot of that for us too yeah. right and so i don't think that's the only way to learn that sort of lesson but it was yeah. deeply important for me and did reset i think to be on that slower side of things
0: yeah my mental health tanked for the first time Right, maybe three years ago, and Mm. my capacity changed, and I was someone that could always kind of balance a lot of plates. And when that wasn't possible, my identity took this necessary hit. It does, yeah. It it felt and it's awful. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't choose it, it, but you're glad for the gifts of it. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) Yeah, but even taking on other people's stories, I you know, I love being the friend that receives. People's grief. (laughs) You know, I loved that. I had no capacity for it. I can't do it. I am I'm barely handling my own trauma. And and now I mean it's made me so much more compassionate. I Mm -hmm. I don't know that I trust anyone who hasn't had a mental breakdown of some sort. Right. I know.
1: You do tend to kind of almost come to this place of being like, well, this is someone trustworthy, I guess. Yeah. 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 Right. And and maybe that's even partly connected to some of the mum blogging stuff that we talked about earlier. There was this sense, I remember some, one of the reasons why mum blogging went so big so fast was because a lot of us were telling the truth about our yeah. lives in ways that you didn't see in lady magazines and right. in Christian lady devotional books with flowers yep. unfurling on the cover, yep. you know, like whatever yeah. else. Yeah. And so that kind of truth telling felt... Revolutionary for women to admit when they were bored, for women to admit when they were angry, for women to admit what they found enchanting and beautiful, but also monotonous and frustrating for yes. them to yeah. talk about their experiences was and and felt revolutionary. And and then there's like this natural backlash or overcorrection that happens with influencer culture. Yeah. But I wonder if maybe that's some of what we're drawn to, maybe yeah. each other, is that yeah. truthfulness and that prophetic act of telling the truth and letting it stand. Yeah,
0: right. yeah, yeah. No excuses, no apologies, no buts. This is right. so. Yeah. So in that acknowledging grief, it's I think it's it's Anjali Raya. I think she has a quote that says, what does grief crave? And it's mm-hmm. lament. Grief mm-hmm. craves lament. And Sometimes, I, I know you know, it feels like the world is, is hanging by a thread and we might look around at each other and we might ask, like, do you see what I'm seeing? And do we, are we all like looking at this destruction? Are we all like mm-hmm. experiencing this together? How does proper lament, I know that, that this is something you're also familiar with and, and mm-hmm. feel strongly about, but how does proper lament help us face crisis together? What does, what does good, healthy lament look like to you? Well,
1: I think I think in a lot of ways it does look like truth telling. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and that was one that I think is one of the practices in the book that came there's there's about two or three of them that came the least easily to me or the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um is probably the righter way to say that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but there was this like and that's one of them was this idea of like learning to lament and learning to tell the truth.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I think it, maybe it's kind of that you know, perfect storm of, you know, religious upbringing and being someone who comes from kind of a word of faith, prosperity, gospel background, where it, you know, even prayer and faith was so much about controlling outcomes Mm. and presenting like a certain kind of vision or fate or like face to the world. Like I joked around in there that like, you weren't ever sick. You were just coming down with a healing. Like you weren't (sighs) ever allowed to admit that you were sick. And so like that sort wow. of religious background, but then of course you put layer on, you know, the effects I think of patriarchy and being like a nice girl mm-hmm. and, you know, all mm-hmm. these other kinds of like, you know, boxes that we are, that we kind of get, get put into. It was always going to feel very revolutionary for me to tell the truth about things mm-hmm. and to uh, learn to feel my feelings, mm-hmm. let alone to acknowledge everyone else's, right? right? And I think that's yeah. one of the things, like when you begin to pay attention, you, your heart's going to get broken.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It it just is. And yeah. so they're being able to have room for that kind of collective faithful lament of realizing that like scripture and the people of God in the past even are much more honest about this than churchy people now are and having room for things like rage and jealousy, and longing, and, 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 you know, the collective grief for this even moment in time, and the questions of our time that are happening right now. I think that was honestly one of the main reasons why I even wanted to do Rhythm of Prayer, was mm. to almost normalize that, you yeah. know, that you get to bring yeah. your whole self to prayer, you get to bring everything that you're feeling, yes. your lament, your rage, your anger, your questions, your doubts, not only for your own self, but also for this whole world that God loves, and now what? And so for me, that that was a big one. And I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of ways where we've found to embody and name lament through ritual, through community, mm-hmm. through connection, mm-hmm. through how we speak about things. And there's a lot of people doing some really incredible work on that. If people are more interested in learning how to tell the truth, I would really encourage them to check out Kate Bowler's work with mm-hmm. the Everything Happens Project. Yes. She does yes, yes, this yes. really well about like, Things so can be really, really beautiful, and they can also be really, really hard. And yeah. both of those things can be true at the same time without perishing from it.
0: And we're going to sit right in the middle of it, and we're going to live the life we actually have. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. With the lives we actually have, and the bodies we actually have, and the limitations mm-hmm. and capacity mm-hmm. in the moment in time that we are in, the questions yeah. that we are being asked right now. Those. This is it. This is what it
0: I is. love that you keep using words like connective and collective and communal. I mean, in the Bible lamenting it was a public experience. Right. And just to stay on par with our like dramatic theme, like there was moaning, like yeah. in you know, in public and on corners. I think half the psalms are are lamentation psalms. I mean, this is mm-hmm. something that we maybe used to be good at and have become bad at. And we might now see it as whining or, right. or or complaining, and yet it's so therapeutic. I would imagine that there is a section of field notes, yes, directing us towards good, healthy yeah. lamentation. For
1: sure. Yeah. No, there absolutely is. Yeah, there yeah. absolutely is. And I think that that's one of the things that maybe even, you know, for some people, maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal. But for someone like me, the kind of permission to be that honest, to not have the answers, to allow yourself to be sad and just yeah. sit with each other in that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I trust that more. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. You and I have. So first, my husband is a corn fed Iowan. Okay, so, there you go. Uh-huh,
1: See, yeah. I've spent many an hour driving through. <laughs> Iowa and Kansas and all areas
0: around Nebraska. He jokes that when you marry a Texan, you're going to become a Texan. Were you always going to be in, in Canada? Was that? Do you, are you ever going to be in the States, Sarah? This is what I'm asking. Can we one day be neighbors? <laughs> I don't
1: mind visiting. I don't mind visiting Although, in the States. I, I can't see us moving back.
0: Yeah, I keep threatening we, to move to Canada, also. So you know, maybe well, we'll neighbors that you'd way. You'd be very welcome.
1: No, well, we, you know, we lived in the states for a while. I lived, I lived in the states for about eight years. Um, even spent a few, about four or five years in Texas, and can confirm that mm-hmm. I still have a lot of affection for Texas. Mm. They taught me taught me some a lot of things about food, and music that I loved okay. in this day. Uh, nice also, I got hugged more in one week in Texas oh. than I had my entire yeah. life previous, and so that are was you a nice hugger? Too. I am now, thanks to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that I was before, but I've carried it with me. Like, and, and I don't know if people always appreciate it, but I'm a hugger. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah it's it's one of those things I can't imagine that's really ever moving back to the States. I mean, maybe some point, Brian's been here now for 20 years or mm-hmm. just about. Mm-hmm. And all of our kids, this is home. Our, my family's yeah. here. So yeah, I mean, we. I can't see us doing it, but maybe, yeah. you know, never know.
0: So our, our Midwestern husbands is, is one um, connection, but I also love to knit. I used oh. to knit when the babies were little, it made go. me feel like a good mom. Now giving them dinner <laughs> makes me feel like a good mom. So, you know, the, the, the bar keeps moving for all of yes. us, <laughs> oh, for exactly sure. but I don't know that I had ever practiced something so meditative. It was, mm-hmm. it was repetitive. It was a problem to be solved. It was Mm -hmm. something that could be completed. It was creative. Nothing was ever completed in my life. You know, like nothing was ever like actually, you know, finished. And there was the product. So I I enjoyed it so much. What do you what do you love about it? What's what how's it keeping you more like you? Yeah.
1: That's that's a hundred percent true. Like I remember actually having that as a very real thought in my head. I remember Eugene Peterson has this phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. And that like 99% of what we actually do in our lives, whether it's in our relationships or mothering or whatever else, or, you know, being a disciple of Jesus, those are things that are long obediences in the same direction without mm-hmm. really a finish line. And well, there is a finish line, but we, we're not really running. Right. This. And so being able to like have a project and like yeah. complete it. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a real thing. I think that's a very yeah. real thing. But I started knitting when my, I think I was pregnant with my second. So it's been almost 16 years now. And you're right. It is almost the only way I have found to turn my brain off when I'm awake. Mm. And in a, oh, but in a good that. and engaged way, right? right? Like in that sense of like, even when I'm writing, I'll go, either go for a walk or I knit when I get really like swirly in my head. Uh-huh. my head. Uh And it is being just a consistent, I don't know if I want to use like a word quite as serious as practice, but it's been a consistent part of my life for all of these years. I've grown to love both the constraints of it and the creativity of it at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And also it's just, I don't know, it's been, it's been, there's even like this little contrary part of me that loves reclaiming the work of our grandmothers and of previous generations of women and, and choosing it and rebaptizing it and reclaiming oh. it because for too long we kind of have relegated everything that was female led or female dominated as like somehow less than in terms Silly. of like craft yeah. and art and yeah. goodness. And being able to be like, no, these these aspects that are traditionally like my grandmother's work, I'm I'm gonna love those. And I'm going to find Mm -hmm. a lot of goodness in them. So there's Mm -hmm. even some little like feminist middle finger to it
0: that I really love. (laughs) I love that too. Now, now that you say it.
2: Um okay, can we
0: can we talk about Shits Creek? (laughs) Oh, always. I love (laughs) that you love Shits Creek. It is I Who doesn't? I got compared to Moira Rose the other day, and they thought they oh. were insulting me. And I'm like, "You listen, how I've somebody can misunderstood be misunderstood
1: the situation? Yes. <laughs> yes,
0: how somebody can be Daffy and deep at the same time is a, just a marvel. I listen, love that show so much. What do you love about it? I aspire to a wig wall.
1: That's <laughs> I aspire to one. <laughs> I, there's a million things I love about the show. And it was a bit of a sleeper hit for a lot of years. It didn't really yeah. kind of pop off until late. And I had of to be of brought us, along kind of been watching it for a long time. we just felt very gratified, mm-hmm. but there was the things that I loved about it. There were, there were a number of things I loved about it from a silly perspective. It's hilarious and, and ridiculous and so over the top. But I loved the character development and the way people changed and the way we went from like truly loathing this group of people in season one and seeing just little glimmers of goodness to being like, I would probably lay down on a train track for any one of these people.
0: For sure. Like I'm praying for them. Right? Like (laughs)
1: Like they're just very invested in Alexis's journey. And I was like, yes, brand a certificate. And so there was all of that you know, nature of it as well. But the other thing I really loved about the show was the glimpse of what's possible when you name what you are, when you embody what you're for instead of just raging what you're against. Mm. And this shows up a lot in the book, which I never made that connection actually until right this Mm. blessed second. So this Mm. I don't know what to think about that. But there is this sense of like within this community, David was safe. And he was able to find love and acceptance and goodness. And any of the quirkiness or conflict was never because of his identity. And even that almost all of them had this experience that it almost became like this little sacred sanctuary for being who you are, however wacky and weird and wonderful it is and it gave me just this really beautiful glimpse of like yeah that's the kind of world you want to live in i want to live in a yeah. world where where this isn't the topic of conversation and yet every aspect of yourself is welcome and belongs here so i felt like it was a really beautiful and hilarious show but then it had these like really redemptive arcs around belonging and community yeah. that i found you know, just really beautiful. So
0: yeah, I, think so, that's I love that. An- I love that answer. It's like the only thing because I'm I'm going back. You know, I think the only thing, and it wasn't even negative. It was just that they said her accent was because because I'm thinking about you saying that that who they were was never really a a topic of ridicule or anything. Right. I mean, I think the most thing they said about Moira's accent it was that it was unidentifiable or something. I don't remember the right. exact word, but it was like. Yeah, we can't place it. But it was never that she was, you know, weird or that she was, you know, right. that, that she was like ostracized because of the wigs or the unidentifiable accent. But it, yeah, there was just this <laughs> comedy that had weight, you know, it was, right. gosh, they just nailed it. They nailed it, nailed it. They did. They really did. It was a perfect show, especially
1: at the moment in time, I think, for all of us. I think a lot yeah. of people started watching it during the pandemic.
0: Uh huh. And
1: yeah. there was kind of that element of like, oh, remember this? Remember what it is to be human? It's It's yeah.
0: actually really good. Yeah. Like well, that. and we had all just watched Tiger King for the love. It was like, you know, like, <laughs> we're, like we're like weird. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we're all like, I, I made this, uh, you know, comparison the other day where it was like, I don't, the Titanic is sinking and people are like string quartetting or whatever. Or yeah. you can like tap dance through wartime. I think we tick through pandemic, the you pandemic. know, or, or shits, shits creaked or, you know, it was like, we all just like, we're, down for what was like strange and weird and quirky. Like we're here, we're here for it.
1: Yeah, listen, whatever was helping you get from one end of the day to the other end of the day. And, you know, a lot of us had different experiences within the pandemic. I mean, for heaven's sake, I started reading romance novels for the first time in my life. And I was like, you know what I want? A happy ending. That's what I want. I want people being happy and in love with each other. That's what I want.
0: (laughs) That is hilarious. That is a delightful
1: surprise, Sarah. (laughs) I contain multitudes.
0: Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, before we talk about how to support you and where to follow and what to yell about, will you tell us your favorite thing about? Okay, either this your favorite thing thing about creating field notes and what you hope we gather, or your least favorite thing about releasing a book, because I know that you know putting a baby out into the world is is complicated. Oh. So, and then we'll, we'll talk about how to yell about what you're doing. You can take on both of those oh, things if you want nice. to. I'm,
1: yeah. Well, I can tell you right out the gate. The thing that I really hate is like the aspect of like self-promotion. I know. Like even true. I'm sick of myself at this point. <laughs> <I'm> so... <laughs>
0: We're not. It's almost like, right. Well, I was generous of you to say. We really aren't, but I get, but I know what you mean.
1: Yeah, it just kind of is this weird thing of like, here's this thing I made, and now I'm going to talk about it a lot, which Mm. always feels a little hard, I think, for writers, period. Mm. Um, But then just, yeah, I don't know. I have a hard time sometimes taking myself quite as seriously as the moment requires, and so maybe that's part of it. (laughs) But in terms of like what I was hoping for or what kind of some of the best parts were, I think for me, it did feel almost like a return to that posture within blogging all those years ago Mm -hmm. of, Hmm. I was very highly aware in this book of who was reading it. And I was really aware that what I wanted for this book was for it to feel like someone was actually with you, that it would have this sense of like, you have a companion in this series, not from the standpoint of being an expert, because God knows I'm not but more from this sense of like being alongside people. And that was really important to me to say, I think one of the things that is a really common experience for those of us who go through a season of deconstruction or loss or a faith shift in any way, there's a lot of things that go along with that, that are difficult. And I think we experience a lot of loss, but we almost always find it very lonely. Yeah. Right. And that's often when we turn to the internet, And we turn to bloggers or we turn to content creators or we turn to these Mm -hmm. sorts of things. Is because we look around and we're like, am I the only person who's asking these questions? Am I the only person who's not able to sleep at night over this? Am I the only person who's asking these sorts of questions or has had these kinds of experiences? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the answer, of course, is no, you're not, right? Mm -hmm. And so being able to meet someone all these years later at that threshold of the wilderness with hopefully what feels like sort of a non-anxious presence, and a sense mm-hmm. of hospitality, of not being afraid, but also be, I wanted people to feel very enveloped and held by the love of God through this embarking period. And so that's something I really value. And I, it means a lot to me. I, I, mm-hmm. There's not any, ever a part of me that's not aware that most of what I do happens by word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a viral person. I'm not a very big popular person. I'm not you know, a big deal by any stretch. But people tend to hand my stuff to people they know. Yeah, right. They hand it to, you know, it's a women's ministry leader who tucked it into the hands of a Jesus feminist into the hands of a college student. And it is mm-hmm. someone who's like hiding the cover of the book and sneaking it into a friend's bag at church, you know, like, or, <laughs> and that means the world to me when people trust me with their people. And Nothing so in a better. lot of ways, that kind of trust is is what I kind of took into the experience of writing this one and was like, all right, let's do something with this. And so, yeah, yeah,
0: it was fun. I feel like the love that he gave first, it deserves a response and I just love your response so Mm. much. It's so great. Okay. Tell us where to follow. Tell us how to, tell us what to do. Give us some marching orders. What do you want us to buy? (laughs) Where, where do you want us to gather? (laughs) (laughs) There's a journal. Yeah. So there's, okay. Yes, go ahead. I have pre-ordered, by the way, which I hear is a big deal for publishers. So it's like.
1: It is. I mean, I know that a lot of authors kind of talk about it online and it is kind of a big deal because it's how it's really the first real indicator that they have about how a book is going to be received. Right. And then people respond kind of accordingly, including bookstores that stock it. And so right. that's, that's why things like that kind of matter. So, I mean, the book comes out on February 20th and there's a companion guided journal, which is really fun for me it's the first time I've done that oh yeah and at first I felt a little bit kind of like I don't know reluctant perhaps about it and then the Mm -hmm. more I got into writing it and creating it I mean it's filled with like breath prayers and practices and questions for you know you can journal you can just have them in discussion groups you can have them in a small group you could you know do all sorts of things with them the more I began to say like oh, this is how people are going to recontextualize everything that I said in the main book for their actual selves and their actual uh, yes. experiences. And that yes. means the world to me. So I'm really yeah. happy about that one. So they both come out on the 20th. They're kind of available everywhere books are sold. If people want to grab them or tell a friend, I would certainly be appreciative. Um, everything else you can find me just at sarabesty.com for all the social media links. And it's E-Y. Yeah, Ey, E-Y. Sounds like the cow, not spelled like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> when I have a guest on, I pray for them before the show, like as just as I'm preparing. And this is your second time on, so I didn't tell you mm-hmm. this the first time. It's it's not that big of a deal, but it it is to me. Um oh, wait. I had a thought while you were talking about the Companion Journal. Would it not be a crazy gift to look at people's journals? And I bet that there would be such delightful surprises, like things that Mm -hmm. you didn't, I'd never,
1: I never thought of
0: that, or I never connected that, or I never knew that someone would take it to that place. I bet that would be so much fun for you. To get back to me praying for you, um, the first time that you came on, I remember where I was, but my, and I said this in the, the first interview but I didn't give you its entirety just because, I don't know, I just didn't. But I'm gonna tell you now. So I was in my bed and I was nervous because I admire you greatly. And so I was just praying, but I was praying I was praying for myself. Normally I, I sit and I really sit with the prayer for that person. And this time I was kind of praying for myself <laughs> because I was, I was a little bit nervous. And as I, my prayers shifted to you, I like words. I get a little tied to them, sometimes Mm. for worse. But I I enjoy words, so I think for better. So my prayers are often wordy. I I sometimes write them down. But this time, I didn't do that. I was just sitting and I was thinking. And this image came to me, and it was you, and you were holding like a lantern, Mm. and you were making a way. And there was a trail of women behind you and it, they, it was, we were single file. So, I don't, you know, I don't know. It, I feel like now it was like through a cornfield, <laughs> <laughs> <This> is, but <laughs> you were, you know, you were kind of pushing things out of the way and you had this lantern and you were just lighting the way for mm. all of, of these people. And, and it brought me such peace that someone who was holding a lantern is not going to be cold, is not going to be scary. Mm. Someone who is bringing someone along with them is going to be so kind and, and welcoming and shepherding. And you are all of that, Sarah. You're so nurturing. You're so mothering. You're so lovely. And when I, I was reminded of that, of that image, and um, I'm, just, mm. I'm just super grateful. Thank you for blazing trails. Thank you for bringing us with you. Oh. Well, thank you the end. That was <laughs> well. I really mean it. I just what I, a gift. Thank you. <laughs> there's something about a light holder to not just light your own way, but but to bring us with you. Is it's just um, it's a gift that you have, and it's a gift that we get to receive. So thank you for sharing yourself so generously. Thank you. That means the world to me to hear. Thank you, everybody. Go get a couple of copies of Field Notes. You're <laughs> going to want you one, one for you, and one for your friends, and the journals to go along with. Um, love you, Sarah Bessie. Thank you. Thank you,
1: and I love you, and you're stuck with me
0: now. <laughs> Thank you. Yay! Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, friends. Right, catch you later. Hello, Beef. Hi, beefy, beef, beef. How you doing? Hello, hello. Okay, so we all know that I came to Love Sarah when um, the kids were little mm-hmm. and I was in nap jail. Now, Beef, mm-hmm. do you remember that there was not just one afternoon nap? There were two naps. So much nap. <laughs> there was a morning nap and then there was an afternoon nap. And so I would log on during nap time and I would check to see, did Sarah post anything. Mm. And if she had, I would just, I would take it in and I could feel um, smart for a second. I could elaborate on maybe some thoughts that she had had. And it made me feel more like me because not only was she smart and made me think, but she also inspired me because I was like, maybe I could do something a little like this. (laughs) Yeah. You
2: were reading and writing a lot then.
0: I was and and I love the people around me who have named it something more interesting than a hobby um like blue flame or unicorn mm-hmm. space or whatever hobby's way too boring mm-hmm. um but it made me remember that that blue flame that that unicorn space it made me remember I have a life too right. you know like I am me were there was there anything that
2: got you through those monotonous years yeah i mean somewhat ironically i feel like what i did to find myself was actually did something new, right? So I was practicing a lot of law at that time. And I to be able to figure out who my new self was in this mm. in that those baby's babyest days, I needed to make a giant change from that. And then, as you know, what felt totally like random and out of left field at the time was that a church ministry opportunity came to me and I got to do that for many years, um, for all the, the teensy tiny baby years. Um, and so I was kind of take a step away from the old me and had the space to kind of create the new me while leaning into ministry and church. And it was obviously a tremendous, tremendous blessing that changed all of our lives. I love that. I remember yeah. us a
0: little bit offhandedly, saying it was kind of with a sigh of like, gosh, what if our, our spiritual lives were our jobs? Like yeah, what if, yeah. Like that would be very efficient. That would be really nice. And God was like, ta-da. Um, so has your faith evolved since then?
2: Ah, uh, I mean, yes and no. Um, by the way, like I want to thank Sarah because when I hear evolving faith, of course I think of her and that's just what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Like some things stay the same and some things mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Um, and things that have had to go are usually for me, at least around rigidity or judgment. Right. So like mm-hmm. the older I get, I'm finding that the less I seem to know for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But Jesus has always been the same. Uh, and I think that I've become more attentive over the years to like, you know, who he's making a beeline mm-hmm. to, who he's mm-hmm. terse with who he doesn't mind showing his temper to. Right. (laughs) And those things matter more and more to me as time goes by. So I guess I'm less afraid of the struggle or, Mm -hmm. um, just know that struggle is going to just be a part of it all. Yes.
0: Gosh, that last part. Yes. That struggle is going to, and so it's, it's going to be hard and it's not going to be hard because you're doing it wrong. It's just going to be hard. And if you can make peace with the fact that yes, it is going to be hard, then I think it makes you a little more adventure. In fact, Adventurous. In fact, Sarah has this part. Uh, let's see. I don't know if it's in Jesus Feminist or Out of Sorts, but she was talking. She's kind of she's poking fun. It's a little tongue in cheek, but she's talking about a slippery slope. Okay, well, slopes are fun. <laughs> like, let's ride this. Yeah, let's ride this thing down to the bottom and see what we find. In her point, well, the way that I received that is more mm-hmm. like we. That's okay. Like we don't have to keep everything. We don't need to you know be afraid of of what we find. We can either accept it or reject it
2: right, right. I love that. I feel like of all the writers you followed over the years, and there have been many, um you've always had a really special place just for her
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. and i you do know how many I love because I'm sending you their stuff all the time, but mm-hmm. um it's true i I feel like maybe we're similar in personality or something. Like
2: there's um, a mix. And, and the knitting. <gasps> and the shows. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> um, I love this conversation because I felt like it showed dimension. Like one minute y'all were like mm. talking mm-hmm. about spiritual heavy stuff and then to walls right? As one does, yes. <laughs> yeah. I actually listened to it um, when I was in the middle of a really like, thick weekend with one of our um, former foster daughters and her mom Um, and the details are complicated but um, they were the weekend was a lot but it was silly and holy and maddening um, and peaceful and stressful um, and there's just something about the juxtaposition of this conversation, um, and then that visit at the same Mm -hmm. time. And Sarah's insistent on acknowledging and appreciating and celebrating just the entire scope, right. From broken all the way to beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, and like listening to y'all, I knew that she could be right there in the middle of Mm. what might look like a mess to some. Um, but she would totally appreciate and honor this crazy story and who it's made each of us.
0: I love that so much because I feel like it's a testament to her work too, that she has revealed herself so fully that you really feel like you know her. I mean, and of course we don't, right? I mean, but she, ha- she is consistent. In fact, she said this in the interview, but she is consistent from one space to the next. So in a lot of ways we do you know we're missing right. a lot of a lot of details but as far as her character and i love that feeling of like sometimes if if we're together and i'm trying to explain someone to you or you're trying to explain someone to me and we would be like you would love her and she could be right here and it would be great you know right. so there's that feeling that she's just trustworthy she's mm-hmm. trustworthy mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yes yes that for sure and And we wouldn't know that and believe that if she weren't so open with her own doubts, right? Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yes, exactly. Doubt, it paves the way to faith. Love you, beef. Amen. Love you too.
0: Bye. Bye. I am so, so grateful for you, listener. If you liked this episode, could you please do me a favor and hit subscribe and leave a review? It really helps the show grow and I would be so appreciative. Thank you so much to our guests who share their gifts so generously with us and a special thank you to Taylor Schroll who does so much behind the scenes to make the show great. If it weren't for him, I would still be in my closet with my iPhone. You can follow along at Forte Catholic as well. That's Taylor's show where I show up now and again. And to keep up more regularly, please follow along on Instagram, at Allison M. Sully or TikTok at Sullivan Family TikTok. See you next week. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to fortecatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.